evening. We are on the final, the final share in the series of food preparation in the kitchen, and we are in the middle of discussing the halachas of lisha of kneading, which we'll do a quick, well not so quick because I think it's quite complicated. So we'll go through the basic halachas of kneading again, and then we'll go through some practical applications in the kitchen that are relevant, can be relevant weekly and regularly. The concept of lisha is mixing flour and water. That's the basic understanding behind the malach of lisha, mixing flour and water together, taking the flour, adding the water, and turning it into a paste, turning it into a dough. So combining, using a medium of a water, and it doesn't have to be liquid, it can be a more solid medium, using the medium of some sort of binder, liquid, milk, (coughs) fruit juice, mayonnaise, oil, whatever it may be, to bind small particles of food into a single mess is the malacha of Lisha. That's the malacha of Lisha. Uh, it, it finds itself in any type of situation. You can be mixing tuna, or you can be making cereal of oats, or liver, or eggs, or <coughs> you name it. Any small particles, and we'll go through all those later and we'll discuss them in detail, how uh, exactly, is, is where the area of, of problem could, could be found and how to get around it. Um, mix them all together, you could end up with a problem of Lisha. Lisha doesn't have to be only with liquids, as we said, it could be with water, milk, honey. We've discussed in the previous year, it could be honey, it can be mayonnaise, oil, and these are, are areas where we will come across quite often in the, in the kitchen. We discussed that the halach of Lisha, according to some postium, is only relevant to things which actually grow in the ground. Um, though we don't take on like that in the halacha, but we will use it slightly uh, to make certain cases a bit more lenient, as we'll discuss a bit later in the shit. But the halacha, though some person take on uh, that there's no lisha only for something which is growing in the ground, the chachila one shouldn't rely on those opinions, and one should not do um, um, an action of lisha even on something which doesn't grow in the ground. For instance, egg, liver, these are things which don't grow in the ground, but we are careful not to do, uh, not to, to, to in any way cross the boundaries of lisha when we prepare those foods. And we'll discuss those at length a bit later, Metzim. The food has to be very small. Again, this is an important piece of information because it will come up in food preparation. So the food has to be very small. Um, small being the size that when they're mixed together, you, it looks like a single mass rather than just a mixture of larger pieces. So if the pieces are visibly separated, visibly big, visibly individual, then that's not a problem of Lisha. Lisha only applies when the particles are small, and you're mixing together small particles, and once it's mixed, it looks like a single mess. So anything slightly larger than, I would say, very, very, very coarse flour is already not so straightforward that it's Lisha. And we'll discuss much when we go through the, the preparation of the egg for Shabbos. We then discuss that Lisha comes in three different forms. I mean, mixtures. We'll talk about mixtures. Mixtures take the shape of three different forms. We have what's known as a blila avo, which is a thick mixture. A thick mixture is the equivalent to a, a, a bread dough. Any mixture that does not run at all, completely almost solid, almost solidified, a, a bread dough, something on, on, on that, that scale is considered a blila avo, a thick mixture. You have what's known as a blila raka. It's again, it's a mixture, it's a solidified mixture, but it's slightly runny. Uh, we would probably talk about the cake batter is the, the, the equivalent of a blila raka. And then we have something which runs completely, what's known as doba hamazel, something which is a, a, a runny mixture. The halachas of lisha only apply to the first two, to blila avo and a blila raka. Blila avo is probably awesome in our Blila raka is 
called the Sumter. Sumter is only Midrabonon. Um, but Dalva HaMnoizel, something which is very runny, there's no problem of Lisha at all. So we will again see that with regards to food preparation in the kitchen, depending on what type of mixer you're making, could really make a difference. You could be doing the same thing, and one could be a prob- very problematic, and one could be completely permitted. The process of mixing, the process of kneading, as we explained in the previous year, has two parts to it. You first place the liquid onto the flour, and then you then mix the <coughs> flour together. Placing the liquid onto the flour is part and parcel of the process of kneading, because the moment you pour liquid onto flour particles, they will begin to bind together. The mixing will continue, will, will, will complete the binding process. But the pouring is already the beginning of the process of Lisha, and that itself is already awesome. We discussed, however, that only applies to, that only applies to a liquid being poured onto a flour. If you take mayonnaise and pour it onto a flour, uh, onto a flour base, or, or something of the, of the equivalent, the mayonnaise does not interact with the flour immediately. It only interacts once you start mixing. So to place mayonnaise on is not a problem of Lisha, but to pour water is immediately a problem of Lisha. The, the, both parts are considered Lisha, not only that, even if you have a dough already and you finish off that dough, or you add to the dough, or you, com- you, com- you complete the dough by uh, braiding it or by placing the egg on top, etc., that's all considered part of Lisha, and there will all be a malacha, uh, and which is awesome. How do we get around the problem of Lisha? We discussed in the previous year. That in order to get around the problem of Lisha, you've got to make a, a, a certain type of shinny. You've got to make changes. You've got to make changes in the process of how you knead. And now, is if you change the process of kneading, then it's permitted. So in each stage of the kneading, you're going to have to make changes. So as we said, there's two stages to the kneading. A being the mixing the water together with the flour. B being the actual kneading process. When you mix it by hand, you mix it, mix it together. Each, those, each, each of those two stages must, must have a complete change of shinning in order that the malach of lisha is not transgressed. So we discussed how do you change the pouring process, and we said primarily we only make all of this with regards to lisha, with regards to blila rako, a, a thinner mixture. When it comes to blila ava, we try not to be make because it's not a real shinning, it's not enough of a shinning. But on the Bila Maraka, we can definitely be made if you change the process of how the ingredients are mixed together. So meaning on this, normally, now don't shout at me because last two weeks ago there, there was a slight argument amongst the crowd exactly how you knead bread. Do you put the water in and then the flour? Do you put the flour in and then the water? So I'm not getting involved in that. But let's assume that the normal thing to do is to put the flour in and then to put the water in. So on Shabbos, we're talking about a Bila Raka here. On Shabbos, if you reverse the order of the ingredients, you put first the water in, and then the flour, that would be perfectly permitted, and that would be considered a shinui, a change, you're not following the normal steps of lisha, it's a shinui, and that would be permitted. If we said, we discussed, if we don't know what the, norms, what the norm is, then we said, classically, if you look at the instructions on the packet, often if you take a packet of flour, they'll tell you, place the flour in a bowl, go and get, take some warm water, mix in it some yeast, then pour it into the flour, so you then know that the norm is to pour the flour in, and then the water. If you then change what's written on the instructions, that's considered a change, and that's not a problem of Lisha. As we said, but that only really works for a blila raka, not for a blila other. When it comes to the second part of the kneading process, and that's the actual kneading itself, there again, we discussed the two types of changes. There's many shinuim ch- many which, which the halakha is mentioned in halakha, but we're going to talk about two, because they're the most common. The first would be to either knead it by hand, not knead it with, a, with any instrument whatsoever, so mix it by hand. So say you're mixing mayonnaise and egg, and we'll discuss that in a moment exactly how to do it. If you mixed it with your hand, that wouldn't be a problem of Lisha, because that's 
unusual. You don't mix egg together with mayonnaise by hand. Well, most people don't. And therefore, if you did, that would be a problem. You're looking at me a bit surprised. You mix it with your hand? Are you using a spoon? You're using a spoon, yeah, there we are. No, I was wondering. I was getting worried. I might not eat in your house anymore. No, 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 by hand. By hand, using, you literally, so if you don't use a spoon, thank you for pointing it out, I wasn't clear enough. If you don't use a spoon, don't use any vessel whatsoever, you just use your fingers and you mix, thank you, and you mix, I'll be back again, Mitchum, and you mix, then you will, you've changed the norm, normal method of mixing, that's considered a shinny. But the, 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 the shinny which is most common, and that's the shinny we're really going to be, be discussing more at length in the year, is what's known as changing the actual method of mixing. That means, when you take a, a spoon or a fork and you mix the ingredients, uh, uh, let's talk about flour and water for want of any other example, the, the way one normally mixes is a circular motion. You take the spoon or the fork and you mix it all in a circular motion. You go around the bowl in a circular motion, that's, and if you take a beaker, that's what beaker does, it just beats in a circular motion. If you change the motion, the type of motion that you're using when you mix the two ingredients together, that means rather than using a circular motion, you use what we call a chassis area motion, backwards and forwards, just a crisscross. Eventually it will mix. Whether it will mix completely in, in, to the exact same degree as it would mix if you use a circular motion, I can't tell you, but it's irrelevant. Just mix it as best as you can, chassis variable, and that's considered a shinny, and there's no problem of leisha there at all. That change is, a com- com- is considered a complete change from the norm of Lisha, and therefore that's permitted even by a Belila Abba, even by a Belila Abba. And that's really where we got to at the end of the previous year. That's where we got to the end of the previous year. Uh, we, we repeated it slightly more slowly this time because there are complicated alokas. We have the two stages of Lisha, we have the Belila Abba, Belila Raka, we have within a, a, a Lisha we have the pouring of the liquid into the, the mixing of the two ingredients together and we have the actual action of mixing the, the, the two together, both apart make up the, the malach of Lisha and therefore in order to get around that you have to have a shinu in both parts one being changing the order of how you put things together you put the ingredients together and B the actual method of mixing must be done with a shinu ideally a shesli variable a cross movement rather than a circular movement now let's be practical and go get into the kitchen and see where we can come across a problem of Lisha and where you might think there's a problem of Lisha where there isn't a problem of Lisha because of the, the, the criteria and the the different rules that we've come across. So let's talk about mixing egg and egg or tuna, etc. You want to make a tuna, you want to make some tuna for, sh- for, 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 sh- for the shishes, and you, you want to make egg for Shabbos morning, we'll come back and we'll discuss egg a bit, a bit more at length, but let's just talk about making a tuna for so the shlishes. You, you opened up a tin of tuna, whether you opened it before Shabbos, on Shabbos, we won't go down that route now, discussing that now, but you've got tuna which is ready to be mixed, and you take mayonnaise, and you're going to drop the mayonnaise, now tuna, when it's, mi- when it's mixed with mayonnaise, flakes, the flakes completely crumble, it becomes a single mass of tuna. You can't see any pieces of tuna, in a bit, depending on which tuna you use, but most tunas, they will begin to crumble. Once they've been in a tin for a while, and they're cooked, they will begin to crumble, and when you mix it with your, with your mayonnaise, it becomes a mess of tuna inside the plate. And that would therefore be a problem of Lisha, because you can't see the pieces as separate pieces. They look like, it looks like a new mess of tuna. It looks like a new unit of tuna. You can't see each piece separately, and therefore that would constitute a problem of Lisha. So we therefore now have to understand, by mixing the, the mayonnaise into the, the tuna, we are going to then perhaps transgress a problem of Lisha. If we would put the tuna on the, on the mayonnaise, and the mayonnaise on the tuna, and then mix it in, in a normal manner, we will be transgressing a problem of Lisha. So therefore, what do we do? We therefore have to change what we do. Now, we've discussed, and we've said this a few times, that putting mayonnaise on top of 
a flower on top of small particles itself does not constitute Isha because p- dropping a drop of mayonnaise or a spoon of mayonnaise onto a plate of tuna does absolutely nothing to the tuna. It doesn't begin the binding motion, the binding action of the tuna together with the mayonnaise. So you can, no problem, take your spoon, dip it into your mayonnaise jar, drop it onto the tuna in a normal manner because you've not begun at all the process of the, of, of the mixing. You haven't begun at all. However, when it comes to the mixing the tuna and the mayonnaise together, here we have a problem. By mixing the tuna and the mayonnaise together in the normal manner, using a circular motion, you will then be binding the particles of tuna together with the binder, which is the mayonnaise in this case, and by doing that you are doing lisha. So what you have to do, you can't use a normal circular motion, you have to use the chef's chef's It will take you a bit longer, <coughs> you'll need a bit more patience, you go across, and then again across, and across, and across. You don't mix in a normal manner. By changing the, the method of mixing from circular to chassis variable, you've now made a shinu, which is considered a real shinu. There's no, no problem with Lisha, and you can happily make your tuna for so delicious. Let's come back to egg, which is really the biggest problem, perhaps, on Shabbos with regards to Lisha, and something which enormous amount has been written. So, nowadays where we use mayonnaise, I can't say everybody uses mayonnaise, but nowadays where most people will probably bind the egg with mayonnaise, uh, again it depends very much on the size of the egg. If, if you chop the egg into small particles, and particularly the yolk of the egg, which really crumbles very quickly, by mixing mayonnaise into it, again, you're binding the small particles, it becomes a single mess, and the, the particles are not often noti- noticeable, they are small enough that they can't be noticed, you've now created a problem of Lisha. The problem of Lisha is something which is discussed at length in the Paskim going back many, many generations, how to prepare egg for Shabbos. Now, the reason why they discuss it is because whichever way, you, whatever you do, you're going to hit the problem. You're going to hit the problem. The halacha in the time of Chazal, and we'll discuss in a moment whether it's relevant today, was that one may not leave an egg open overnight. We've discussed this before, we've got onions overnight, eggs overnight, you may not ideally leave an egg overnight. <coughs> so therefore, to prepare your egg on Friday, just brought upon yourself a problem of leaving your egg overnight. To leave your egg and prepare it only Shabbos morning, you then enter into a problem of Lisha. So here we have a problem which, 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 we're going to have to find and start cutting corners somewhere. Wh- which corner do we cut? Do we rather cut the problem of leaving egg overnight and find some way around that and prepare it all on Friday and make life easier for us, which is probably what we do, most of us in this room probably do that. Or do we say, look, we don't want to get risk, we don't want to risk at all the issue of leaving eggs overnight. The problem of leaving eggs overnight is not a halakhic per se issue, it's a sakoma issue. Eggs overnight is dangerous and when it comes to danger we don't cut any corners, we don't look for ways out, we make sure that we have no danger in our home at all, so we don't have any eggs left overnight, and I prepare my egg on Shabbos, and I have to find a way around the problem of Lisha. That's really where the discussion starts many, many, many decades ago, many generations ago, how to prepare egg for Shabbos. Eggs seem to be a staple part of the Shabbos morning meal. How to prepare the egg for Shabbos, that was a big discussion. Let's talk just for a moment about the problem of leaving eggs overnight and why we are not so worried about it. Most of us, as I said, most of us in this room, and I'm pretty sure if you took a census around shul, you'll probably find that most of the people in shul prepare the egg on Friday. What do we do with the problem of leaving eggs overnight? Now, there's three reasons why we're not so worried about that. The first reason is that if you actually open up a shul tenorach, you will not find this halakha there at all. It's not mentioned in shul tenorach anywhere, not the problem of leaving eggs overnight, not the problem of leaving... Onions overnight is not mentioned in Shulchan Aruch at all. And therefore, 
that does seem to lend to the view that nowadays the whole problem doesn't apply. It doesn't apply. There's no sakana anymore. It doesn't apply. And you can't leave it overnight. It is mentioned in the in Shulchan Arab. It is mentioned in, in other Paskim. And therefore we do not leave eggs overnight. And we do not leave onions overnight. Again, we don't try and find to cut corners when it comes to sakana. But there is already a room for leniency because it's not quite mentioned explicitly in Shulchan Arab. So, the first way around the problem is that perhaps nowadays we don't have a problem of leaving eggs overnight. Second thing is that leaving eggs overnight, is that talking about raw eggs? Or is that talking about cooked eggs? That's also a huge discussion in the early poskim. The problem, the sakon of leaving an egg overnight, is that only apply to a raw egg? Does it also apply to a cooked egg? Now most of us, if we're preparing our egg for Shabbos morning, we're preparing a cooked egg. We're not preparing a raw egg. Uh, cooked egg is already opinions should say that that's not a problem of sakon. So we already have two reasons to eliminate the problem of sakon of leaving a peeled egg overnight. And the whole problem is only leaving a peeled egg. If you have peel on it, no, if you have the shell on it, there's no problem at all. But we don't have shell on our, hopefully we don't have any shell in our mashed egg for Shabbos. So that's not going to help us. The third way around, and this is the one that the Chazan Ish relied on, and the Chazan Ish used to prepare his egg on Friday. If he did or his wife did it. But in the Chazan Ish's home they prepared the egg on Friday. And the reason why he wasn't worried about peeled eggs being left overnight was he felt that the moment you add another ingredient into the egg, that eliminates the sakona. So, yes, to prepare your egg on Friday and leave it just mashed, but without any additives, no salt, no mayonnaise, no etc. added to the egg, that would be problematic. But to prepare your egg, already mix in your mayonnaise on Friday, and that way you're mixing your mayonnaise, you've got around the problem of leisure, you're not worried about kneading the egg now because it's been kneaded on Friday, and you've got no problem of kneading it overnight, because you've got these three reasons which will eliminate the sarcoma. A, it's, who says it applies nowadays? B, it's cooked. And C, you've added additives, so rather than worry about the problem of leisure on Shabbos, we'd much rather be makel, in, in inverted commas, and say that there's no problem of sakona when it comes to leaving the eggs overnight because we've got these three reasons to tell us that there's no real sakona here and we'd much rather use that route than use the route of keeping of preparing it for Shabbos there are many others and many chassidim particularly who will never prepare the egg on Friday no such thing they will not prepare eggs on Friday unheard of unheard of to prepare eggs on Friday is totally unheard of they have to prepare it at the table just just, just before you're about to eat it. For those types of people, then preparing on Friday is not, is not the answer. We need to find a way around preparing it in Shabbos. Now, let's talk about using mayonnaise because that's the more modern method of making egg and it's much easier and much less of a problem. It's using oil, which they use historically, and the, the way they used to keep binding the egg together before mayonnaise became the, the, the common staple. They used to use oil. Oil is more complicated, but let's use mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is pretty simple, because when we're making egg on Shabbos with mayonnaise, we're almost doing the same thing as we do when we're making tuna. So when we drop the mayonnaise on the egg, there's almost no one that I know, except for one person in the world, who I don't understand where he comes from, but where, where he gets this from, but he, who will actually tell you that the binding process starts when you drop the egg, the mayonnaise on. So you take a, a, a spoon of mayonnaise and you bang it, as hard as you can, because you don't bang it, it's not going to fall out, and you bang it and it lands on top of the egg, it's not, you've got a piece of egg then, a piece of egg then, a piece of egg there. There's no binding process that's beginning. When you put water into flour, the flour begins to break down immediately as soon as the water comes in contact with the flour. There's no breaking down of the egg or binding of the egg per se. So there's absolutely no problem in dropping the mayonnaise on the egg. Is it better if the eggs are already crumbled a bit? Makes not a bit of difference. 
Not slash with this. On the contrary, if it's crumbled already, then we are binding it together. The only advantage of larger pieces is large pieces is not called bisha. But in my view, I think the yolk of an egg is almost impossible to keep large. The moment you mix mayonnaise into it, it's going to you're, go, you're going to be needing. You're going to be needing. So you drop the mayonnaise on the egg, which is not a problem at all. You have no issue there. Then the only problem is how do I actually mix the mayonnaise into the egg? So again, I take my fork and I do chassis the Arab and I do backwards and forwards like a crisscross motion and I have my egg prepared. It might not be so beautifully uh, mixed in as it would be if I were prepared using a normal mixing motion, but at the end of the day, it's mixed, it's fine, you serve it on the plate and everybody eats it and they've forgotten what the presentation looks like anyway once they've eaten it, so that's, that's fine. And that's really the simplest method to do. What do we do when it comes to using oil? And this is where it became really problematic historically, because oil has a different issue to it. Oil not only may you not mix the oil into the egg, but pouring the oil on the egg is already beginning the binding process. It's not like mayonnaise, which is just a, 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 a more solidified binder which just rests on top. It will automatically break into, seep into the egg and begin to bind the egg together with before you've even done the mixing. So how does that get around this problem here? Now here, don't forget, once we've finished making the egg, we can't consider it a belila raka, can we? It's really a, a quite a thick. It doesn't pour at all. You try and pour your egg, you'll be turning plate upside down before it actually pours. It's not going to actually run what's a, a, at all. It's, it's not a runny mixture. It's definitely a blila avo. And in the blila avo, we explain there's almost no no method of taking the oil and pouring it in and and, and allowing it to begin the binding process. So here there was an enormous controversy in the in the Pasuk. And the Pasuk, therefore, they wrote chuvas to try and find ways to allow this to, to, to happen. Many of them held that we're going to rely when it comes to Shabbos we have no choice we're going to rely on the fact that egg is, is gedule, it's not Gedule Kaka it's not grown in the ground and therefore there's no problem of Lisha and you can do it in the normal manner and etc etc with many other different some people say you're doing it just prior to eating that's not called Lisha many other different excuses and, and, and responses were written about this problem but practically speaking the modern customs say that what way to do it is because it's not so straightforward that it is a real problem of Lisha, is that you can follow the normal process of change as, as if it was a Belina Raka, as if it was a lighter, more runny mixture. And therefore, the normal method of making egg, tell me if I'm wrong, would probably be to get and mash the egg into a plate. You have the egg in the plate, then you take the oil, you pour the oil on top of the egg, and then you would mix it. So, the, on Shabbos what you'd have to do is reverse the order. You'd have to put the oil into a plate, would be a bit more difficult because you'd probably need a little bit more oil than you would if you're just pouring oil directly onto the egg. You pour the oil into the plate and you then pour the egg in and then you've got around the problem of the mixing of the oil together with the egg. You have a second problem, however, how do you mix the two ingredients together? So that's not a problem. Again, we've discussed that. Very simple. You use the chassis the area motion, not the circular motion, but use the crisscross motion. You end up making your egg perfectly kosher egg on Shabbos. And that's really the simplest way to get around it. It isn't complicated, it's messy. Therefore, what we would do nowadays is, the simplest thing, the easiest thing to do is, we're not so worried about the sakana, we prepare it before Shabbos, and we don't, get, we, we don't have a problem at all. Preparing Weetabix on Shabbos. Preparing Weetabix on Shabbos can be problematic. Now, anybody who's ever eaten a Weetabix will know that if you pour a small amount of milk over a Weetabix, the milk will automatically become absorbed into the flakes of the Weetabix, it'll break them down, and it, you're looking at me rather, and, and it becomes a, more or less a solidified mass. 
So where I can see a, a the, I can clearly see the flakes of the wheat bit in the plate. The moment I pour the milk in, uh, my kids have a, have a game. They've got to pour the milk in and get it down and eat it before it begins to break down. And you've got to really get it down as quick as possible. So after about two or three minutes, it's, it's done. And if you wait more than two or three minutes, they won't touch it because it's it clearly doesn't look appetizing. So, how do you make Weetabix and Shabbos? How do you make Weetabix and Shabbos? Because it could be the moment you pour the milk on, you're, you're breaking it down. So, here there's, there's an interesting, interesting way around it, in the sense that if you pour a lot of milk at the same time on a Weetabix, it doesn't break down at all. It, 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 even if it would break down, it will remain a runny mixture. <coughs> if you pour a lot of milk into the plate, the Weetabix, it will take an enormous time. If you left it there for, for an hour, it will eventually break down. But in normal eating time, you've got no worries that it's ever going to get to the point of becoming anything different than a runny mixture. You take a Weetabix, and you put a lot of milk on it, it will remain, even if it begins to disintegrate and break into, it will still remain a runny mixture. And therefore, there's no problem of Nisha on Shabbos. Make it into a runny mixture rather than a solidified mess, then you've solved the problem of of Weetabix. If you're preparing Weetabix for a baby, for, a, for, a, for an older, well not a baby, you mustn't give wheat to a baby, but a slightly older baby, then again, it's got to be runny enough that it can be, that can be considered noisy, it can be considered a runny mixture, not a, not a, uh, uh, not, not some sort of blila rako or chasushom or blila adol. Making instant puddings on Shabbos. Instant puddings, jellies, these are all problems of Lisha, because the moment you pour the water onto a pudding, it begins to solidify, you are now creating a solid mass from powder and liquid, you are li- without even mixing it, you don't have to mix it, you just pour it on, it becomes a problem of leisure. Uh, making, the, I don't know if any of you have ever seen this, but you can get now awesome instant, instant, um, uh, you get pot noodles, you get pot noodles, you get now instant potatoes, instant potatoes, and, and, and uh, it's like a little tub, and it's got a powdery potato inside, and you pour hot water into it, We'll get, we'll, let's not worry about the problem of Bishel because it could be there isn't a problem of Bishel let's leave the problem of Bishel out they probably are cooked already once before but pouring the water onto this instant pudding onto this instant potato will uh, after a few minutes the potato becomes expands, it becomes solidified, it becomes now looks like more or less, looks like we don't look hard enough it looks like normal mashed potato and you're then going to eat it, you've now taken powder and liquid and you've created a new mess which is a problem of Nisha. So you can find Nisha in, in numerous areas inside your kitchen in, in just uh, preparing basic foods for Shabbos. Baby cereals. Baby cereals do have the same problem because baby cereals do clump together, they do join together, they do bind when you mix them. So therefore again you have to make sure that the... Uh, so, so here you, again you can get around the problem because baby cereals you do mix. So you can get around the problem. It doesn't actually become a lila of our baby cereal because it doesn't become like a dough. It, be, it becomes like a thickish um, slightly runny uh, um, <coughs> mixture so then we, we can get around the problem by, by changing the order of events so if you put the milk in I don't know which way around it works so I'm not, I can't tell you because I've not given a baby cereal for a long time I don't remember when I last gave a baby cereal to be honest with you but then if I ever given baby cereal but that's not the point the, 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 whether you put the milk in first or the cereal afterwards or the cereal in first or the, or the milk afterwards I don't know I suppose look on the instructions on the, on the packet and they'll tell you if the norm is to put the cereal in the bowl first and then the milk on top do it the other way around put the milk in and then the cereal on top if it needs mixing mix it with a chassis if don't mix it with a circular motion making baby formula making baby formula is absolutely no problem at all baby formula is something which is very runny you are mixing powders together with liquid but 
it's completely and totally running. It, there's no taste there whatsoever. Not a blila raka, not a blila ava. It's a dava noise. It's something which runs, something which runs is not a problem at all. And therefore there's no problem making beta formula. However, as we mentioned in the previous year, you must make sure that you don't, sometimes some mothers like to make the basic taste of the they mix a small amount of milk together with the, with the powder until it's, there's, a, there's a base there and then they pour the milk on top the, the, or the hot water on top etc that would be a problem of Lisha because the base that paste that the, the base that you've made into some type of paste that you've mixed with water and flour that would be a problem of Lisha Shabbos you cannot do that Shabbos you would have to make sure that you've got all the water in there pour the powder in and allow it to mix that way it's it, uh, Dove and nozzle, it's a, a completely runny mixture and it's not a, uh, a problem of leisure at all. If you have a Weetabix made already, you have a Weetabix made already and there's already a mixture of Weetabix, I'm just going to talk about Weetabix because I know it's going to really build up your appetite, but you have a, a, a Weetabix made and it's already clamped together and it's partially uh, solidified and you want to add a little bit of milk. If you add a little bit of milk to it, you're adding liquid to a ready-made dough and you're going to mix that liquid into ready-made dough or even if you don't mix it just allow it to absorb you again add, adding is also part of the process of Lisha we explained Lisha is not only the first part of the process not only the second part even any level of if you have a dough and you add a, add a little bit of water to the dough because it's too sticky and you want to make it less sticky I think that's what you do when you want to make it less sticky you know? add a bit of water so you add a bit of water or if it's too the, 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 the dough is not, uh, not doughy enough you want to add a bit more flour any addition any addition of water or any addition of flour etc mixing it into, into the into the dough or mixing it into the mixture is part of the malach of Lisha so to take a wheat mix or to take baby cereal which is too thick and therefore to add a little bit of milk to make it a little bit more runny would, would also constitute a problem of Lisha and there you would have a problem because to change the order around is going to become a bit difficult it would mean putting the milk in another plate and pouring the whole cereal paste it it's going to make life a bit messy. So when you are preparing cereal and shabbos, make sure that you do exactly what you need to do with the right amount of milk and that you shouldn't have a problem of having to add in, etc. afterwards. Adult cereal, and I call them adult cereal, not that adult eat cereal, but adult cereal, like cornflakes and Rice Krispies and Cocoa Pops and Bran Flakes and, and, and all brand and whatever Kellogg's and all the other cereal uh, manufacturers produce, there's no problem of, of leisure there at all because the particles remain solid particles together in the milk. Um, if you have crushed brown flakes or etc., you turn it into a crust and then you put milk on it, then there could be a problem of leisure technically, maybe. Even when milk stays in the cereal for a long time, it never, ca- gets, never clamps together as a, as a single mass, as a single, single dough. It will become soggy and perhaps not edible, but it's not really a single mass. Of, and that we, you don't really ever get, get into a problem of leisure with, with uh, most of the cereals. Making cocos or any other instant drink, besides the problem of Bishel, you have to know each case would be said, besides the problem of Bishel, is not a problem of Shabbos, because again, you are not making a paste, but rather you're making a double nozzle. Making co- coffee, tea with instant, with, uh, with um, powders cocoa etc all fine as long as you don't make a paste as the base and then add the hot water afterwards but you make the whole thing in one runny mixture and there's no problem at all of Nisha making potato salad making a potato salad in the Shabbos will very much depend on the size of the potatoes most 
potatoes have are a reasonable size. The potato is a reasonable size. And it's very clear. When you look at the potato salad, you can see each piece of potato as a separate piece. And there's no problem. You can mix in in a normal manner. You can mix in your mayonnaise. Absolutely no problem whatsoever. There's no leisure there at all because they are large particles. And as we explained, leashes can only be a problem when you have small particles combining together with the binder to, to form a single paste. Putting jam into a yogurt. Now, sometimes, uh, particularly in Etisha, not so much here, but it's becoming more fashionable here. You get the leavens and you get these uh, sour yogurts which are not so sweet. So one of the way around is you take a spoon of jam, you drop it onto your yogurt, and you mix it in and you have now a strawberry yogurt. It's not much different than the manufactured strawberry yogurts. It's all, all the same rubbish. It's all made up of the same stuff. So you take a piece of jam, you drop it in, and you mix it together. You now have a strawberry yogurt. Is there a problem of Lishan Shabbos? Now here again, there's no problem of Lishan Shabbos. You're not binding anything together. There's no binding motion going on here. You're just mixing, mixing two things together, which they stay more or less stay separate. They more or less, there's no problem, and there's not a problem of Lishan at all. In fact, Moshe Feinstein talks about mixing in cottage cheese and cream cheese, or cottage cheese and cream on Shabbos. And again, he says there's no binding there at all. You take cottage cheese and you mix in some cream into it. You're, you're, you're not binding anything. They, re, they, remain, they remain as they are, just, just to... Uh, and the same would apply to eat if you're a big Wimbledon fan and you want to eat strawberries together with, uh, with cream. Again, that's no problem because strawberries and cream do not bind together. They are large particles. And it's just a mixture rather than a binding action. I think we've come to the end of the examples of Lisha. If anybody has any, any questions, let me know, because we're going to spend the next just two, two, three more minutes finishing off the last part, which we, I said if we have a few minutes, we'll finish off the last area of problem in the kitchen, which is not the problem of Lisha, it's more, more problem of Ma'abid, according to some, or problem of Bishal, according to others. Um, are we clear in the halachas of Lisha? Because I find them complicated, and I just want to make sure everybody's clear in fine. Let's just spend, we've got a couple of minutes there before we finish. Let's just discuss for a few moments the, the last area of pre- food preparation, and that's the problem of ma'abid. We, we spoke about it as a problem of ma'abid. It's not so clear that all opinions agree that it's a problem of ma'abid. Everybody agrees there's a problem. The question is under which banner it goes. And that's the problem of salting food on Shabbos. Can one salt food on Shabbos? And this is an interesting halakha, and it's worth, worth uh, uh, spending a few minutes on it, even if we run out of time, but hopefully we won't. The there is a problem, which discussed in Chazal, Midrabonon, an issa to salt vegetables or to salt food on Shabbos. Uh, there's two reasons given the Rishonim why it's problematic. One is because salting is a process of cooking. You can use a, a salting process to cook. You can take raw foods and salt it, and that will turn in from a non-edible food into an edible food. That's one of the reasons. So therefore, salting, even if it's not actually cooking, Chazal said is also because it looks like cooking. And the second reason, which is mentioned in the Rishonim, is because it it's similar to ma'abed, which is tanning. You're taking hides and you salt them to make them ready for use, so they can be used as leather, etc. Putting salt on food, even though it's food, it's not leather, seems to be the same process as tanning, and therefore chazal forbade it, because you might move from there onto the tanning process and allow yourself to tan. So let's run through the, the practical applications of that halacha. <coughs> so we'll start off in, with, with the, the broad and we'll come and narrow it down a little bit 
In simple terms, there will be a problem of salting all types of vegetables. So to salt tomatoes, to salt cucumbers, to salt peppers, to salt lettuce, etc. could be a problem of mavi. And to take a tomato and pour salt on it, etc. might be problematic. Would seem to be problematic according to this halakha. You shouldn't be allowed to salt the vegetables at all on Shabbos. To salt fish, to salt meat, etc. could also be a problem if you're marinating the fish or the meat on Shabbos. That's a problem. You cannot marinate fish or meat on Shabbos at all. That's awesome. Now, when it comes to salting vegetables, let's pull back a little bit because I don't want to get you all scared, but it's not as straightforward as, as um, I would like it to be or we would like it to be. There are some posthumous say that salting tomatoes or cucumbers, since they're not the type of vegetable that one normally pickles, that there's no problem at all. The small cucumbers, perhaps you do pickle, but tomatoes at least is not normal to pickle tomatoes you probably can get pickled tomatoes in the shops now you probably can but it's definitely not run of the mill it's not, it's not something that I've ever eaten in my life and I don't know if many people here have eaten pickled tomatoes it's definitely an unusual delicacy it's not the, the normal thing to do is to pickle tomatoes and therefore there, there, there are possibly who would like to suggest that it is permitted however we are mahmi and we try not to salt any vegetables at all however the halakha tells us if you just salt one piece because you want to eat it, so if you catch yourself a tomato and you pour salt on it and you're going to eat it straight away, that's fine. There's no problem. That's not considered ma'abid. Ma'abid is only a problem when you're going to salt a whole, a whole hide. Or bishul is only when you're marinating a whole fish or a whole meat. You salt just a small piece of tomato, that's absolutely, that's absolutely fine. That's not a problem at all. Another way around it is if the salt is mixed, not just plain salt, but you mix it together with some sort of oil, so the oil would... In, minimize the effect of this salt it takes away the potency of the salt and then that's not a problem at all so let's talk about making a salad for, for uh, want of an example you're making a lettuce salad with tomatoes and vegetables in and you want to add salt but you're also going to add a salad dressing either to mayonnaise or any other salad dressing or to some modern concoctions of salad dressing that they come out in the magazines now any type of, of salad dressing you're going to pour that on together that's no problem at all because you're adding salt Together with a salad dressing, that's not a problem at all of Mavid. That's fine. You are remove, you're reducing the ability of the salt to have that effect on the vegetables because you mixed it together, not only with salt, but with some sort of oil. Mayonnaise, salad dressings, they're all dressings are basically oil. They're all that, 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 the, the base of all the dressings are oil, and they are all going to reduce the potency of the salt. So making a salad shouldn't be a problem. Where we do have a problem, and this is why I wanted to get to this halakha, where we do have a problem is, you sometimes find, and especially at the simplest, they like to cut a, a plate of, a whole tray of tomatoes. They'll cut sliced tomatoes and put them neatly on a tray and sprinkle salt on it and then put them on the table as a uh, slightly upper class way of serving tomatoes. Instead of putting a, a tomato on, on a tray, you serve a whole plate and you, put it, you garnish it and you make it look all nice. But at the end of the day, what you're doing, you're serving plain tomatoes and you're sprinkling on salt. Now there you're not sprinkling on salt on one piece of tomato, you're sprinkling salt on a whole plate of, 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 of tomatoes, and that could be a problem of Mavid. According to those opinions who say that you may not salt tomatoes, you've got a problem, and therefore you should, you should ideally put them on the plate with salt, but don't salt them before you put them out. However, if you're in, a, in dire straits, if you're in dire straits, you can't get away with it. As we said, there are possible more when it comes to when it comes to um, tomatoes.
some even make them when it comes to cucumbers. There's definitely makam lahakil that I can't say it's osir, but ideally, if you're going to put out a plate of tomatoes, do not salt them before you put them out. That would be the ideal. There's one other area which is not a problem of salting, and that's the area of cooked foods. To put salt on cooked foods is no problem. You know, don't marinate cooked foods. You marinate raw food. You don't marinate cooked foods. You don't salt or pickle uh, cooked foods. You always pickle raw foods. If you're pickling your salmon, you'll pickle it before you cook it. You're pickling your meat, you'll pickle it before you cook it. That's when there's a problem of salting. But to salt cooked foods, that's not a problem at all. So you can take your egg and you can pile on the salt, or you can take your meat and you can pile on the salt, you can take your chalice and pile on the salt. There's no problem at all. There's no problem of ma'ave, or no problem of bishel when it comes to food which has already been cooked. And that's really, more or less, the only areas that you're going to get, you're going to hit a problem of ma'ave. The only real practical example is a, sli- a place of sliced tomatoes, I did you shouldn't, you shouldn't, um, or any sliced vegetables really, if you have a whole plate of uh, sliced vegetables, not to salt it before you serve it, just leave the salt on the table and let them salt it themselves as they eat it. Salting beforehand could be problematic with regard to the Islamic. We've now been through the four halachas which are relevant inside the kitchen for Shabbos, Mechem, after Pesach we'll come back and we'll discuss a uh, different area of halacha, I haven't decided yet what to do, but uh, we'll, I'll think about it after Pesach. Um, we'll, the next year, in two weeks' time, Mr. Shem, will be the pre-Pesach shir. That's uh, next two weeks' time is Erev Rosh and I don't think after that anybody wants to come to a shir. That will be the Monday before Pesach. I can't see any woman wanting to come out of the house to come to listen to a shir uh, just before Pesach. So Erev Pesach. So the next shir, which is Erev Rosh will be the pre-Pesach shir. Mr. Shem, after Pesach, we'll resume. We'll work through a different subject, Mr. Shem. Just to finish off very briefly with a short vatayer. This week's Pesach We also just finished. Purim, Shushan Purim today, we just finished Purim. Uh, we've been through the Dalit Pashas, we've been through the first two of the Dalit Pashas, we've had Pashas Shkolin, which is Pashas Kisiso. We've also been through Pashas Zochoy, we've actually had the Purim, and we're now heading towards the last two of the Dalit Pashas, Pashas Parah and Pashas Achoyish. And we've pointed out, the, the Rishalmi points out, and it's mentioned in, in, in the Rishanim and the Endom Sakh of Megillah, that you often, as we did this year, will have a gap between Pashas Shkolin and Pashas Zochoy. But you never ever have a gap between Pashat Parah and Pashat Achodesh. Pashat Parah and Pashat Achodesh are always directly next to each other. There's never a week's break between. You can have a, a, a Pashat Shkolim and a Shabbat Hapsaka and Pashat Zochoy. You can even have a Shabbat Hapsaka after Pashat Zochoy and then Pashat Parah and Pashat Achodesh, but you never ever have a break between Pashat Parah and Pashat Achodesh. And perhaps the reason behind that is, is, is as follows. The Dalad Pashas, four weeks, which are built up to the month of Nisan, and built up to Rishonish Nisan, built up to when we became the nation of Kaddishol, built up to when we saw the revelation of Kaddish Prophet with the Yisrael Mitzrayim. They're not just four independent Pashas, four independent weeks, but rather they are progression. We are moving up from the Pashas Shkolim all the way through to Pashas Achodesh. And therefore, let's just analyze each one just very briefly for two, two, two moments, and we'll see how the progression works. The Pashas Shkolim is when every member of Kaddishol gave a Machsis HaShekel. The reason why it's half, as we specifically said, is because we're only a half. We are only a half. We, to, in order for a person to become a whole, he can only become a whole when he's a member, a complete active member of Kaddishol. A half is a, a, a person on his own, an independent individual, is only a half. He's not a whole. Machsis HaShekel by all of us donating a massive shekel to the base of English, we then become a nation of Kalashol. So what we've become in the Pashish column is a nation of Kalashol, no more. We've become a nation. We don't know what the purpose of the nation is. We haven't yet become an active nation. We haven't yet become a nation that reached the level it needs to reach. But at least we've made a start. We've become a nation. We then take a break from being a nation to the next stage. There's absolutely no... There's a rush, but there's nothing which compels us to move to the next stage. 
the next stage is eradicating the Ra. In order for a nation to remain contained as a nation, and for it not to become contaminated, not to be a nation that's influenced, not to be a nation that's somehow fragmented by outside the outside world, we need to remove the outside world from within the nation. And therefore we can move on to Pasha Zohar, which, which enables us to remove the Amalek from within Kravisol. Timcha Zecha Amalek. We take the Amalek away from Kravisol. We now have a nation which is not just not just we've agreed to come together we're not just a nation but we're a nation which is contained a nation which is re- without the influences of the outside world we then have a Purim which is exactly the same part process of Pasha Zohar the eradication of Amalek removing Amalek from, from, from our midst removing Amalek from Kavisor you then move on to Pasha's Purim Pasha's Purim is the Pasha where we remove anything, any impurities in Kavisol. But we take the Paraduma and we cleanse ourselves with the Paraduma. So here we, we, we don't have outside influences, but there's still stains, there's still an element of residue of the past still within Kavisol. And we're not ready yet to move to that level of Kedusha. In order to remove the tremendous level of Kedusha, we need to remove all that residue of the past. We need to remove all the in, in, impurities that, that are within ourselves, within Kavisol. Then we have to go through the process of Pashas Parah. We need to read Pashas Parah. We need to take the Paraduma. We need to cleanse ourselves from the Tumas Mace. Cleanse ourselves from the uncleanliness that sometimes clings to each one of us. Once we've cleansed ourselves, that means we've become a nation. And we're Ba'achdus. We have the unity of a nation. We've removed the the divisions of the outside world and the influences of the outside world with Pasha Zohar and we've removed, completely cleansed the impurities in Kali then there's no break. Immediately, once you've gone through those two stages, you get to Pasha Zohar without any break at all. It's an almost instant, an instant progression into the next stage. Pasha Zohar is the month of Chodesh, the month of Chidosh, the month where we begin to see the Rebbein directly. Once we've gone through those stages, we have the Achtos of Kali We have no more influences from the outside world and we've removed the impurities that are within ourselves, we ought then become a clay kibble, become a vessel that is able to receive the revelation of the Rebbein Shalom, to receive the brach of the Rebbein Shalom, to receive the, 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 the tremendous outpouring of, of blessing that the Rebbein Shalom wants to give us. We are there. We don't need a break. We can't have a break. There's no, there's no break that, that, that we're able to actually have. We move immediately and we'll receive that bracha directly from the Rebbein Shalom almost instantaneously. And that's really what we're aiming to do, to, to, to the point we're aiming to get to. We've had the Pashish Kolim, this week we're going to read it again, we've had Pashish Zohar, we're heading towards Pashish Parah, and from the Pashish Parah we should move straight into the Pashish Zachodesh, we should be to see the Gilu, the revelation of the Rebbein Shalom, the Chidush of the Rebbein Shalom, Bimher Bimeinu, Amen.